What's up, guys? Today is a big day. It's like the day that you go to a like, grand store opening and like you see the big ribbon there and like you cut it with the huge scissors. This is it for the podcast. This is episode one, the man behind the mic. So I just want to give you guys a little testimony of my life and how I found the Lord. I just want to share a piece of my heart with you guys. So enjoy. Young age, you want to just live your life. You kind of just want to do your thing. So that was me throughout middle school. You don't, you don't really know anything, kind of still young. But then fast forward to high school is when things kind of really intensified for me. Um, I began going out, partying a lot, um, drinking a lot, smoking, um, you know, sex. Just going to keep it real in this podcast, we we going to sugarcoat nothing. So, um, yeah, just doing things young adults want to do, you know, because we see our friends doing it and we see a lot of other people doing it. So, you know, and it's, it's like to us, it's fun, you know, so that's what I was doing. And um, I would go to church on Sundays. Um, I would I would be involved in the church because my my parents were um, heavily involved in the church. And my parents are pastors, if I should just come out and spit it out. There you go. Um, but they've never, they never forced me into um, knowing Jesus, into um, understanding the Bible and so on and so forth. They kind of let me do my own thing. And um, as we get deeper into the story, I'll explain to you um, how I found out or why uh, my parents never uh, forced me into it. But um, back to high school. So as I was in high school, you know, just living that young teenage life, doing what I wanted to do, going to church on Sundays, like I said, and I would sleep on Sundays because of the hard parting that I used to do prior um, the day before. So Saturday nights, Friday nights, going out, partying, drinking, smoking. Then Sundays come, hear about Jesus. He's good. You know, I'm the pastor's kid, you know, and, and in church, it's like a whole nother mask, whole nother me, you know, kind of in church. Yeah, God is good. We had no idea who God was, but he's good because I hear it all the time. So whoo, I agree with you. He's good. He loves you. Not knowing the magnitude of it, you know, so. I graduated high school and um, I still began, I still still did what I wanted to do, still partied and still um, drank and so on and so forth, just doing what I wanted to do, not really involved in the church yet. Um, then one night, I came back from a party, of course, and I was on my bed I had finished taking a shower and I was laying down and you know those moments where you're just hanging in your towel and you're just sitting there going flipping through your phone or whatnot. So that it was one of those moments and um as I was flipping through uh, Instagram, I heard a voice. And this was late at night. This had to be around two in the morning. So I heard a voice and it spoke so clearly to my heart. And it said, Turn to the Ro- to the book of Romans. Specifically, Romans chapter 3. Now, prior 
to reading Romans, never, ever in my life have I ever heard of Romans, um, nor did I know it was in the Bible. But this particular night, it's as if I knew that Romans was in the Bible and specifically where it was. And no exaggeration at all. I flipped to the book of Romans. And then I just looked for three, the big three. Um, and I found chapter three. And I want to I wanna share with you guys um, what it was that I read that completely broke me. And I, I mean, when I read this, it just became life to me. It became truth. And it completely changed me. And it was totally the power of God at work in this moment. And here it goes. So Romans chapter 3, it says, What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with every word of God. What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar. As it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. So what it's saying here is it's talking about um, do Jews, because Jews were the people of God. Now it's saying, do Jews have more advantage, right? Just because they're Jews or just because they're circumcised, right? And although Jews have been entrusted with every word of God, Jews were still unfaithful. Right. So it's saying that if Jews, the chosen people of God, were unfaithful, does that mean that God is going to be unfaithful? And it says, no, that let God be true and every human being a liar. Right. So let's continue on to verse five. It says, but if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say that God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? Verse 6, certainly not. If that were so, how could ju God judge the world? Verse 7, someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's faithfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? So this is a, a worldly mindset. You know, it's from the perspective of somebody who's thinking, well, if my mistakes make God look more glorious, then why not just continue to sin? Or why not let God be more glorified through my mistake? And that's not the concept. That's most of the concept that we think about, you know, like, okay, this will show that God is greater. But verse 8 says, why not say as some slanderous claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result? Their condemnation is just. So when you when we say things like that, like, all right, well, I'm a sinner and God's grace is is greater. So the more I sin, the more God will look and appear more glorious and people will see more of God's glory. But it's saying that if we say things like that, that our condemnation is just, meaning that then it shows 
that we deserve punishment because we are supposed to be images of God, not completely opposites of God. So God is holy. We must also be a representation of that. God can't be holy and we call ourselves his people but live completely opposite from what he says we should live or how we should live. So verse 9, this is what, this is the beginning of, of Kevin Breffel's slap in the face. says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And this right here was what shocked me to life. It, it opened my eyes to see that although I thought I was good, I would go to church. You know, my parents were, were pastors. So surely their lives for Jesus was good on my behalf because I'm not, I'm a good person. I don't, I don't, I didn't have a murder in anybody, but God says that there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And I was that. I was amongst this. We all are. None of us are righteous. None of us understand. No, none of us see God. We've all turned away. How have we turned away? Simply by not living in your created value of who God created you to be. Now, you're not on this earth for any reason just because you exist. No, there is a maker of the heavens and the earth, the creator of all things who he himself designed you. He set plans for you. you. You are not just here on this earth to work, die, have a family, and, and, and just it just ends. No, it's not like that. God has plans and he has purposes for your life. You're here for, for a reason, a reason that the creator brought you. He designed you, molded you, shaped you. You know, Isaiah 43, verse 1, it says, it says here, But now this is what the Lord, your creator, says, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you from captivity. I have called you by name. You are mine. God says, I have called you by name that you belong to me. You do not belong to yourself. You know, we have this concept that if we are good, if we are nice, that surely God is, is going to be gracious to us. But you have to understand that nobody's perfect, right? We are reconciled to righteousness 
by Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the Savior, and I'm sure you heard of it. If you've never heard of the name Jesus, which I'm sure you have, it is the only name, let me tell you, it is the only name that can save. You cannot save yourself, not by your works, not by your efforts, not by saying that you're a good person, because clearly the Bible says no one is good. So how are we to be good? How are we to be made good? Only by Jesus only by the precious blood of Jesus. When he died on that cross, Jesus died for your sins. Not only for your sins, but he died because something was lost. What was lost? Your identity, your created value. And this is all of us. You know, throughout my whole um, high school life, I was trying to find my identity, whether I knew it or not. Whether it was it was by um, sex, alcohol, um, smoking, partying, you know, I was I was trying to find myself within it, whether I knew it or not, by those by those things that I that I did. They define me, you know, let me ask you a good question and you just ponder on this question. Who are you? If you can't answer that. It means you you need to find your identity and you can only find it in Jesus. And you're not defined by saying, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I'm a mother, um, I'm a salesman. No, because when you die, salesman is not going to be your title. It's either going to be son, daughter, or either not a son or not a daughter. Of who? Of the created one. God Almighty. This life is a borrowed life. Nothing that you have belongs to you. It is all a gift from God. Whether you know it or not. It is all a gift from God. So when I read this. In Romans chapter 3. It completely changed my life. I mean. I dedicated myself that night. I dedicated my life to the Lord. I gave him my life. Because I finally understood and the Holy Spirit of God came and dwelled on the inside of me. And that enabled me for a whole year to seek the Lord and fully know him, know his heart. And there were battles of of religion and rules and regulations. But in that year, I found the Lord in 2014. Since then, God has changed and molded and is still molding and changing my heart. Why? Simply because I said yes. I said, God, I want to know you. This life that I live, what, what is it? What, what's the benefit if it's not being lived out for you? It's not about m- making six figures, making a lot of money and living well. That all won't matter. When your soul is is in the face of God, when you when your soul is required of you before the holy God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, you can't look at him and say, oh, well, God, uh, I, I worked real hard. I made a lot of accomplishments on earth. What is on earth is perishable. But what is in the 
everlasting afterlife. That is a value. And the only thing that can make you acceptable before holy God is accepting his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Right? Come to him. If you're tired of, of living the life that you're living or, or you are desiring to know God, you know, one big thing for me is I hesitated a lot. You know, as growing up in, in the church, I kind of always ignored it and kind of pushed it away. And I told God, when I'm ready, Lord, when I'm ready, I'll come to you. And the truth is, you'll never be ready. It's, it's something that we say to ourselves, you know, to kind of assure ourselves. I always, it's funny, I always told myself, before I die, I will accept him, you know. And you don't know, you don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know how you're going to leave this earth, right? It's reality. You don't know how you're going to leave this earth. You might not even be able to speak. You might not even be able to pour out words, right? So these are things that we say, I'm not ready, Lord, or I need, it to get it, I need to get it together first before I come to you, Lord, right? But Jesus says somebody who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit to come into the kingdom of God. What does that mean? That if you come to God... And you make this decision to come to God. There's no turning back. You come to him. You come to him full on. You give him your whole heart. You know, and a lot of us say, oh, I, I know God. He's always been there with me, protecting me. So what are you doing in return? You just know he's there protecting you. And that's it. That's good enough. A holy God is protecting you, caring for you giving you food, clothes, shelter. That's not of your own doing. The strength for you to even get up every morning. The breath that you breathe is a gift from the Almighty God. All that you have, all that you are, belongs to God. That is the truth. See, there are things in this world that we we try to compromise with you cannot compromise with with the word of god this is a holy loving god but he requires he requires truth sincerity honesty your heart your your vulnerability you the true real you you know and i just want to say for a second for those that have come to God and you know we kind of spend time with him on whether it's on um, religious um, days like Easter or um, Christmas you know and we kind of put him in the back burner I just want to talk to you guys for a minute and I just want to say that this walk is a serious thing your life given to Jesus is a serious thing because at the end, God is going to require 
a work for his kingdom that you have done. And now this is not all by your own strength. You have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, right? But the Holy Spirit is the helper, right? He helps you. And now you need to do that. You need to take the first step and you need to say, okay, God, all that I am and all that I have is yours. So do with me as you please. God, take my life. It belongs to you. I pour it out as an offering onto you, God. Let me, let me say this, this world that we live in, nothing in this world can satisfy you. You know, just take a look. The things that we do of this world that the world craves, right? It's a repeated cycle that needs to go again and again and again for you to come to continue to feel that fulfillment whether it's that temporary joy temporary pleasure temporary satisfaction whatever it may be there's only one that when you taste him and you see how good he is that it it it's not something that is compared to anything this world can give you. Jesus said, I am the water that never runs dry, right? You drink of him, you won't, you won't thirst anymore. He said, I'm the bread of life. You eat of him, you won't hunger anymore. I can honestly say to you, of all the partying that I've done, all the, the pleasurable things that I've enjoyed, nothing, nothing comes close to the joy of knowing my one and true Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and just listen to that word, Savior. You can't save yourself. That is why Jesus is called the Savior. You know, and everything that's happening right now with the quarantine and what we're seeing, this is just the tip this is not even actually this is not even the beginning of what is to come it is not the beginning things will get a lot worse you you take your time read matthew chapter 24 and you'll see and if you want to go in depth you look in the book of revelation but i would i would say start light go matthew 24 and you just see what jesus says things will intensify. Our only hope in this time is Jesus Christ. So, before um, I end this, um, I want to give an, an opportunity and a chance for anybody who wants to know Jesus. If you want to, you know, you, you, you're hearing this and you want to open your heart and you say, okay, I, I want Jesus. I want him. Then it's a simple, simple prayer of, of bringing him and inviting him into your heart. He's there. He's listening. He loves you. You know, everything that I'm saying is not a word of condemnation, right? But it's of truth. And sometimes the truth is hard. We don't want to accept it. You know, I, I did not want to accept this. But I have to understand that this is the truth. And it's the truth that saves. Right? There's a loving God that loves you. 
He loves you and he, he died for you to give you a new life, to free you from the torment to, uh, and the pain that you're, that you're feeling of, of the sins that are engulfing in your life. Now, I'm not saying in this Christian life it's going to be all sunshine and rainbows. No, it's a continual walk with God and it's not easy. You will fall, but you will get back up back into his, his loving arms, back into his grace and mercy. It's a continual thing. It's not about perfection. It's about progression. You're always growing and becoming more and more like your Savior, Jesus Christ. This is not a, a secret thing to all things will go away. No, Jesus says when you go through storms, which you will in this Christian life, it's inevitable. Everybody will go through the fire and everybody will go through storms. But when you go through them, you're not alone. He's right by your side. So this Christian life, God wants nothing more than a relationship. An intimate, loving relationship. This is all that it is. This is not rules and regulations, don't do this, don't do that. No, it's a relationship. Why does God tell me I can't have sex before marriage? Because he's trying to save you from soul ties and pain and heartache. Because sex is sacred. Every time you have sex, you give a part of you to somebody else. That's why God says, keep it for the marriage bed. Sex is for the marriage bed, for the husband and the wife. Because two have become one when they have when they have sex, two become one. Because why? Their souls are, are now intertwined. Their souls are now together. So this is not don't do, don't do this. Why does God cancel this? Why doesn't he let me do this? Why doesn't he let me do that? He's a loving God, right? And we're his children. Just like a mother and father, heaven, um, an earthly mother and father care for you. How much more heavenly father that's there caring for you? He's, he's looking out for us. He's loving us. And all of this is, uh, is relationship-based. For example, you have somebody in your family. You won't, you won't go out deliberately and hurt them willingly. No, because you cherish your relationship that you have with them. And you care about them. So when they tell you something, you take it into consideration and you love them and you obey them. You won't have a spouse and cheat on them just because. That's not, that's not love. That's not intimacy. And we won't do the same with God if we, if we truly love him and we're in a deep, intimate relationship with him. You know, this is a love relationship. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, amazing relationship. When your heart is poured out. And when you're open, your walls are down and you're vulnerable before a holy God that will never hurt you. He is for you and not against you. So I just want to invite you guys, if this is, you've heard this message and this is something that, I, that you want. You want a relationship with Jesus. Romans 10.9 says, if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, that we will be saved. So the key word here is believe in your heart. You know, we can confess, but out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we need to make sure that we believe. So as you believe with me 
and you are beginning your relationship with Jesus, just say this prayer with me. It says, Lord Jesus, I invite you into my heart. Come and make your home inside of me. Right now, Father, I confess and I believe that you are Lord. Thank you, Father, for dying on the cross for my sins. And thank you for resurrecting to give me new life. Thank you, Father, that today my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and that I belong to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you if you prayed that prayer. Welcome. Heaven is rejoicing. The Bible says that angels rejoice at a soul that is saved. So now that you are beginning this walk with the Lord, the Holy Spirit has made his home inside of you and he is, he is with you and he is teaching you and guiding you every step of the way. I, I want to bless you and I just want to let you know that no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, that God loves you and that you are forgiven and set free by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I love you guys and God bless you guys.